Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And to really anybody who has been a mother to the church, you know, one of the great things about being a small church is that we really get to experience the family aspect of church. And uh, so we're grateful to all the people uh, who've been uh, motherly, who have taken other people in, who have helped people who are feeling down, who have been selfless, who have sacrificed uh, to other people in the church, the kids of the church. Uh, thank you so very much for all that. Actually, we're going to have a round of applause for all those women. That would be awesome. And uh, just a short sermon today, uh, as we dive in, uh, I want to be able to have a little bit of time at the end of service. We have a slideshow, uh, just some of the pictures of some of the moms uh, with some of the kids. So that'll be pretty awesome. But uh, first things first, I do want to share some good news. Last week, I believe it was last Monday, or it was last Monday, Monday, actually, which is interesting, on my mom's um, rebirth day, her spiritual birthday, the day my mom was baptized, actually Ivy was baptized, which is awesome. Um, Ivy is a first year, right? First year at UVA. And it's cool. I got a little laser pointer. Uh, it's always been in there, but never really used it. Um, it's cool to actually see the layers of discipleship here. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, entrust to reliable men. We'll say women in this case. Entrust to reliable women who are also able to teach others. So there's three levels of discipleship. And so we have Karen here, converted... Her first year at UVA, at the very end of her first year. Uh, and then this year, Dion and Selena were converted, and they helped baptize their friend. How cool is that? So there we are, Evie getting, uh, Evie, Ivy, it's going to be tough. Ivy getting baptized, Ivy, Evie. Then we'll reach out to somebody named Uvi, and it'll just be a mess. Um, Ivy was baptized. Evie's doing great. She's back here doing awesome, still faithful. Uh, also, some good news. Uh, we had a wedding yesterday, which was awesome. Isn't that a great picture? That's a great photo. I love that photo. I snuck in with the photographer and got some of my own there. But uh, just an amazing wedding. Uh, the Dorier family, the Prince family together. Those things are always so cool, so awesome. Thanks to everyone for helping put that on. And, uh, you know, Jess and Landon, if you're listening on the podcast, we love you guys. Have a good honeymoon. And uh, yes, I just, I just can't stop looking at that. It's just a beautiful photo. Uh, but the title of my sermon today is Motherly Love. It's a great photo. Probably staged, though. They look a little, they look a little too good, right? I got like the, the beanies like perfectly like back a little bit. And, like the, the bang is perfect. So it's a nice photo, though, I thought. Uh, motherly Love. I try really hard not to be a, a story time preacher. Uh, but that's out the window today because it's Mother's Day, so I just get to share some stories. And, uh, you know, I love my mom. Uh, called her this morning. My mom is an adamant listener, so she's listening to this surely as it's uploaded probably tomorrow. Uh, but I love my mom. I've learned a ton from my mom. I've shared a few stories of my mom. You guys know Janice. Um, but one of the things I love about my mom is that she has taught me, uh, if there's one thing she taught me, it was to have conviction and to have conviction from the scriptures. And uh, my mom always had a really strong passion for things, uh, always. And I remember seeing my first PG-13 movie when I was 13. And I was very okay with the logic of that um, because, you know, I was 13. And so I saw my first PG-13 movie and uh, actually saw it with a guy who was kind of like my, you know, spiritual mentor, uh, my disciple kind of friend. So he got in trouble later. But I saw the, saw the movie 
And I thought it was fine. And I came back and my mom had sat me down. And my mom was, she's a great speaker. She's, she's a great preacher. Um, she, most of her audience has been her kids with her sermons. But she sat me down and she said, you know, why did you see the movie? And I said, well, I'm 13. It's a PG-13 movie, so I'm allowed to. So I can. And my mom said, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And I remember like, oh, snap, what's she talking about? I don't get it. But it was a really great conversation on why I do things. And what's the reason? Is it really best? You know, it's 1 Corinthians 8, right? Uh, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Everything is permissible, but it is not beneficial. So things like this. I was 13, but really, really constructive, incredible, you know, why do you do the things you do talks. And I think 1 Peter 3 really is a, uh, it contains a great scripture that really uh, encapsulates my mom, which is always be prepared to give an answer for the reason uh, you believe. Always know why are you doing it. Don't, don't do it just because you can. Have a conviction on it from Scripture on why you're doing uh, what you're doing. Uh, this is a picture of me at my baptism, my mom and dad baptizing me. I'm coming out of the water there. In that broken jacuzzi, February 21st, 2003. It's a great night. Mom and dad there. And this is a picture of my mom more recently with our uh, nieces, two of our nieces, Holly and Jill there in Dallas. So my mom, my beautiful, awesome mom, uh, in, in, in many ways, uh, in more than a few ways, I, I am the man I am today because of my mom. Um, I think I got a blank slide coming up. Yes, that'll work. Hop over to Luke chapter 7. And uh, I think it's, it's important that we see uh, the female of the Godhead. Uh, God, Yahweh, he is not male. He is outside gender, actually. In the same way that he's outside time. Like, remember when Moses asked for his name? And he either says, I am what I am, or he says, I am. Uh, but the same thing Jesus says in John 8 when he's questioned. He says, before um, Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? I'm out, God's outside time. God is ever-present. He's eternally present. But in the same way that Yahweh does not, uh, uh, per, he's not pertain to the past, present, or future. He's outside that. He's, time is not linear to God. He can access to different points. I don't want to get too nerdy here, but pretty awesome stuff. Yahweh is also outside gender. So he's not father. He is father, but he's also mother. There's a reason that Jesus says in Luke 15, God is like a woman who's lost a coin and she will search everywhere to find it. Uh, there's actually many situations where Jesus says God is like a woman. God is like a mother. And so it's important for us to be able to really see the motherly aspects, the motherly love that is God, that is from God, that makes our moms so incredible. Our moms are so awesome because they have that part of God in them. And uh, as they become disciples and strive to listen to Christ and the Spirit all the more, they can actually have that fan into flame to be even more uh, motherly in their love. And for us men to also be able to grow in that ability too, to respect, to love, and to cherish, and to honor the women of the church and the mothers in the church uh, for how incredible and how invaluable they really are. And that's actually what we get to see in marriage is that beautiful yin-yang, that beautiful balance of the father and the mother working together to really actually marriage encapsulates what, um, who God is better than anything else in the world because you have both there together in submission and in sacrifice to one another. And so that's why, that's why uh, and how beautiful um, marriage really should be. But what is it about motherly love that's so different? Um, even as we have a few babies here, right? Rosalind uh, here, and then we got Christian in the back, and a few moms even, even now as they, they strive to, to glean they can from the sermon, they're still also taking care of their kids, right? But I think that's what makes moms so incredible 
is they're constantly uh, taking care of others. They're constantly feeling uh, their kid's pain. They can't. I think for men, it's easy for me to be like, if a kid falls, to be like, just get up. <laughs> and that would be it, right? But if with a mom, you know, a mom gets down, she gets on her knees, she grabs, she, how you, is, what hurt, where does it hurt? What can I do? I mean, she feels it, right? She's there. There's something beautiful about that. That's incredible. When I was two years old, I was probably, I was probably two or three. And when we were in Texas, you guys ever heard of fire ants? Fire ants are horrible. Texas fire ants. You get a fire ant bite. I mean, they're awful. You can like, feel it. You can like feel it. I don't know if there's like a venom in there or something, but you can feel it pulsating. It's terrible. When I was two or three, I sat down in a fire ant hill. And uh, I was fine, you know, for a while there. I was just sitting and doing my own thing. And I think I just started screaming. From my, I don't remember. My mom remembers. I just started screaming, you know. And here I am, this little two-year-old, just covered in fire ants, you know. I'm just like, oh, it's going to be awful. My mom runs over, and my favorite part, she strips me down, takes the clothes off, and just brushes me up, cleans me up. And then she just, you know, squeezes me and holds me until I stop crying, right? And I'm just like, that's what a mom does, is a mom doesn't just say, get up, come on, get off the ant pile. <laughs> We covered ant piles in the baby syllabus. You cannot do this. You got it? Come on. Get it together. It's not, no, but it's actually, she goes, she, she does all she can. She, her, she's so filled with compassion that she intervenes, even to the point where there's a risk that she might get, you know, bit by a fire ant, but really it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, a mom running into a street to save her kid. Like we hear all these stories that moms at their own peril will actually, with, with great uh, impulsivity, but also great discernment in that moment, their, their senses sharpen and they go to help. They go to aid. They go to take care of, even at the point of sacrifice. And I think this is what makes mom so awesome. When I was 13, I must have been 12 or 13, I loved to tackle football, played football since I was nine. Um, played for 10 years, Torrance Panthers, uh, pretty awesome, uh, in L.A. And uh, I, was, I was kind of big, though. I was kind of a big kid. I was, I was overweight. I was like 140 pounds, maybe, when I was like nine. I was a big kid. I know, right? It's incredible. It's a big kid. So, I, so the sad thing was, is I played a weight class up, uh, which was fine for me, helped kind of toughen me up. But then I was at the point of actually being two weight classes up. And so at this point, I, was, I wasn't going to make weight because in Pop Warner, you have to make weight for football. And my mom, she goes, Drew, I think we had, what, two weeks to lose 15 or 20 pounds, you know, for a 13-year-old. So no small thing. And my mom goes, Drew, we're going to do this together. My mom's, I don't know if she even has 20 pounds there to lose. <laughs> But she goes, we're going to do this together. So I remember for two weeks, my mom and I would go run together. She cooked all my meals. And she was like, we're, we're going to have faith. We're going to get this done. God can deliver. We have two weeks, and we're not going to let anything stop us. We'd go to Taco Bell, and she'd order tacos, and then take the tortilla. And I just had lettuce, cheese, and then the meat. And I just ate it. And I, and I didn't like it. But mom goes, we're going to have faith, and we're going to get it done. And God can deliver. And I made weight. I made weight, and I played that whole season. Uh, only one weight class up, so amen. But I just think about that with my mom. You know, like That's what moms do is they get in there with you. Yeah. They fight that fight with you, and they say, we're going to do this together. We're going to fight together. I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to take on what you're struggling with. And I think that's what's so beautiful about moms, but it's really what's so beautiful about God. And in Luke chapter 7... In an amazing story in verse 1, we won't read it, but you guys know the story of the centurion. If you haven't read it, please read it later. But it's this incredible story of this guy who's a non-Jew, and when Jesus comes, he basically is so humble, he says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. So I'm going to send my servants to go ask you if you can come and heal my servant. 
So he's not a snobby, you know, elitist centurion leader. No, he's actually a really humble guy. He loves the people. He's built the synagogue. Just a really great, awesome guy. And then when Jesus is on his way, the centurion meets him and says, listen, just say the word and you can heal him. You can heal my servant. That's incredible. It's called a remote healing. It only happens twice in the whole gospels when you heal someone, when Jesus heals somebody and he's not actually there. And it's never happened before. So Jesus actually here is amazed at the centurion's faith and goes, I haven't seen any faith like this in all of Israel. This is amazing. And he's, he's, he's blown away by the humility, by the faith. This guy's awesome. You can read a story like that and you can go, man, I got to get my, my humility in order. I got to be humble. I got to be faithful. Because for me, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. And then we get this story. Luke 7, 11, where we'll have this, this morning's reading. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said don't cry then he went up and he touched the beer that they were hold there was carrying him and the bearers stood up and said uh, the, uh, the bearers stood still jesus said young man i say to you get up the dead man sat up and began to talk and jesus gave him back to his mother They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. This is an interesting story, especially lined up with the previous one. This woman does not ask for help. This woman does not show humility. This woman does not show or express any kind of faith. She is just devastated. She is in a catastrophic state to the point where this isn't even planned. I mean, they bump into this group, right? They're walking into this town called Nain, and they just see this happening. So what is it? I thought Jesus was supposed to respond to us when we had great faith. I thought Jesus was supposed to wait for us to humble ourselves, and then then he would really interact with us. We have the great story of the centurion, which is a true story and a great story. But I think we get this one right next to it so we don't get too based on the flesh. We don't get too self-reliant here. And we don't try to say, let me get my act together so that Jesus can love me. Because here we see the only thing that, that prompts Christ is he sees this woman in a horrible state. And what is the first thing it says? It says his heart went out to her. What's the first words he says? Don't cry. Don't weep. If you, listen, if you read this section, the whole story is her. It has nothing to do with the boy, actually. It says there were people with her. There was a funeral with her. Uh, you know, he, Jesus gave the boy back to her. It's all about the woman. She's the center of the story. Yeah. Jesus' affections, his heart, his emotions were set on her. He saw her pain. He felt her pain. And that's what caused what we see here. Now, this is an incredibly similar story to uh, 1 Kings 17 with Elijah and the, the, the widow's son. Now, in that story, Elijah has to get on top and like spread himself across and pray. It doesn't work and he has to do it again. And then he finally, the, the boy gets up. 
But there's no mention of compassion in the Elijah story. It's just a way to kind of show power. But my one point today, my sermon's called Motherly Love, but my one point begins with not the power. I think a lot of times we want to see a manifestation of God's power. We think even here, did we just gloss over the fact that someone just was raised from the dead? Because I think we just did. And that's amazing. Because this story is not about the display of power. This story is about the display of compassion. It's not about what Jesus did. It's not about the power. It's about the compassion. And we can read a story like this. And if you notice, even the people at the end, what do they say? God, God's amazing. He's more powerful than we ever imagined. He's going to crush the Romans. He's going to take them out. We're going to be so strong. They say, God has come to help his people. That word's a powerful word, and if you're jotting down notes, which I encourage you to look at this later, please look at this later. It's too incredible not to look at. Luke 1.68 and Luke 1.78. This is the the prophecy about Christ. Luke 1.68 and Luke 1.78. Please, please, please look at that later, because it's this prophecy about Jesus coming, and for one real reason. From the mercy of God, he will come to forgive the people of their sins. What Jesus does here. Is a, is, a, is a step toward Calvary, is a step toward the cross. Because this woman does nothing. She does nothing to deserve what's coming her way. She doesn't exude any sort of amazing ability. That if Christ could perhaps convert her, then she would be able to lead a church one day and be very fruitful. No, that's not the case. All he sees is her mess. All he sees is her, her state of overwhelming sorrow. And it is quite a scene, by the way. It's not just sadness. For us today, this wouldn't be the same. A widow, and Luke explains this, right? She's a widow, and this is her only son. So not only will she she be alone, and obviously there's the, the emotional pain of losing two loved ones now, but she will be relegated to the margins of society. A woman without a man, and this time, for better or worse, the reality of it was, your best hope was maybe prostitution, or your best hope was hopefully a distant cousin who would take you in and who would allow you to help raise, be part of their family. In these times, you were part of a household. That's why it says that we are part of God's household. We've been brought in to God's household. And if there's no household to bring you in, there's nothing to do. You can't go find work. You can't go get a job. What are you going to do? So it's not just that she has now no family left. It's that she has no hope left. Her life is effectively over. And for all intents and purposes, she did nothing to deserve that. But she still needed Christ. And a lot of times for us, I think what's so amazing about God is that he doesn't necessarily show us this great display of power. And a lot of times we see great displays of power. We see really cool thunderstorms where we go on a hike or we see God's power. or We see some, you know, perhaps ostensibly co- uh, coincidental events in our life and go, how did God arrange that? It's incredible. But it doesn't really change you. It astounds you for a second, but it doesn't change you. I didn't become a disciple because I saw the data and it made logical sense. Something happened in those Bible studies that changed my heart. And you know what it was? It was God's compassion. It was not necessarily his power. It was his compassion for my mess. God saw me and realized, Drew, you're going to try to find status in your wits, in your smarts. You're going to try to go to college and make money. You're going to try to date around and sleep with a bunch of women. You're going to try to find all that status. It's not going to bring you anything, Drew. It's not going to make you happy. You're going to be relegated to the margins of society. 
You will, not, you will be alone. You will be deeply and sadly alone, as Biju shared. In America, we're as alone as anybody, but we just dress it up a little bit better. And sadly, depression skyrockets every year, even though we have more money, more convenience, and more comfortability than any other nation in the history of the world. But we also lead everything in terms of depression. So it ain't fixing anything. It ain't helping happiness. It ain't helping anxiety. We still have the issues. Christ still sees us, and he still sees you. He still sees you in your catastrophic state. And the only thing that we bring to the waters of baptism is our sin. The only good thing you bring, when you decide to go on that day, Ivy, last week, Jesus is Lord, it wasn't that she had finally made it. It was that she had finally realized, I need help. I need a mother. I need somebody who's going to run up to me and wipe those fire ants off and say, I don't care if they bite me. I just want you to be okay. I don't care if I get hurt. I don't even, and by the way, as a three-year-old, you know, I might have been a little ashamed of being naked, but it didn't matter. My, my, my ashamedness, my, uh, uh, what's the word, embarrassment, it didn't matter. Because mom had come and protect me. Mom had come and wrap me up, and she, the fire ants were gone. It didn't matter that I had needed to confess my sin. It didn't matter. I don't want to have to talk about those things. Who cares? Christ has come and wrapped you up. Uh, but I'm too nervous. No, listen, God sees your state. And you can try to trick everybody in here. And you may do really well for a long time. You could probably trick a lot of people. And you probably have. I have. We get really good at it. And sometimes the scary thing is, is that we get really good at even deceiving ourselves. And then no one else is left to really console us except Christ. And we have to see that. And I want to close out with this idea. What is it that causes Jesus to... To interrupt a funeral. You ever interrupted a funeral procession before? I have not. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I don't. Ryan says I don't think so. So maybe there's an option there. Maybe that he has. Um, You know, when when you do that, it's interesting because you don't you don't want to take the focus away. But Jesus actually brings the focus onto him at that point. And you don't really want you don't want to interrupt and you know the, the the sorrow. But what Jesus does is he actually he interrupts this thing that was not planned. It's a great side point, by the way, into our week and our life is how are we being compassionate even when it's not in our schedule, even when it's not planned, even when it comes on us out of nowhere. Do we still have compassion? Do we still love like Christ does here? Because this is out of nowhere. Now, Jesus interrupts and he touches. Why does it say he touches it? Because that's a no-no. That's disgusting. It's, it's unclean. So Jesus actually crosses boundaries. He actually makes himself ceremonially unclean. That's a very unique thing for us 21st century thinkers to comprehend. The best way I could probably put it is if you walk into someone's home and you were to see clothes everywhere and maybe like peanut butter smeared across the table and the person came downstairs and they were unkempt perhaps and maybe they had, you know, just walk with me here. Maybe they even had some like snot on their nose, some mucus here. And maybe, you know, maybe they hadn't shaved or something and and they smelled off. You could smell them from 20 feet away. What's your first instinct there? This is disgusting. Ew. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be near this person. That's as close as we can get to someone being unclean. They're unclean. I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to hang out with them. I'm not going to interact with them because they are unclean. And a dead person was like the epitome of uncleanness to a Jew. But Jesus comes and he stops it. What does he say? Not just I'm willing to help. I'm willing actually to get in there with you. I'm actually willing to get in here with you. Not just from up up on high like all other religions and say God gives you these book of rules to follow. No. God became man. He became flesh for you. He became a person. He he touched the ceremonially unclean thing. He touched the funeral pyre. He touched the beer. He touched it, right? He touched it. 
He became flesh for you so that he could become a substitute, become a sacrifice, and to say to you, do not cry. And on this Mother's Day, I want to encourage us to honor our moms. If you have not honored your mom yet, give her a call. Do something for her. Give her a hug. Say, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Let's honor our moms. But let's also honor our true mom. Let's honor the first mom. All right. Let's honor where, you know, all that comes from, which is who is God. And let's be able to be grateful that we have a God who loves us this way. One of the great things about motherly love, too, uh, you know, as as hard as this is a lot of times when you're a kid, you mess up. It's tough being a mom. They they mess up. I'm sure moms can walk me through it. Like what? A thousand times a day, right? But what's cool at the end of the day, you know, and this is the goal for us. And if, we, if we've lapsed in this, amen, let's look to God for repentance. But mom's always there. And mom's still there to read you that nighttime story. She's still there saying, amen, I know you messed up for the thousandth time. That's okay. We're here for you. We love you. You know, mom's still there for you. She's still trying to wipe the fire ants off. And it's the same way with Christ. So I want to encourage all of us today, if you have not decided that you need help yet, get help. If for some reason you think that your sin is too big for Jesus, get that out of here. Her situation was hopeless, and Jesus says, it's okay, I'm going to die for your sins. This is, this is not as good as it gets. It's, it's going to get way better. And perhaps it was that, that encouraged Jesus so much, or that prompted him to intercede, was that he saw a parent who had lost their only child. He saw exactly what it would feel like for a parent to lose the one thing in the world that mattered to them. And what in the depths of depression that would happen afterward. And how this woman probably gave Jesus a small glimpse into what God would feel. And perhaps it was that Jesus saw this and was just stopped everything to be able to say, don't cry. I, don't, I know you can't understand this now, but I will understand what it feels like. And now I get what God's going to feel like too. Jesus had that ability to be able to put on other people's shoes and understand exactly what they were feeling. And so for us, as we close out today, uh, love your mom, honor her. But I want to encourage all the people in the church to go to God this week and thank him for touching your funeral pyre. Go to God and thank him for reaching out to you. And if you're not a disciple today, I just want to encourage you, take that step soon. Study the Bible. Get that stuff out. Let God wipe the fire ants off and let him embrace you because it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, All it is is you realizing I need help and Jesus is Lord. Uh, Maybe a couple hours of discussion, some things you got to get through in your heart. But at the end of the day, it really is just all about Christ. He's prepared it all for us. And it really is a gift of mercy and grace. So we're actually going to transition here to our slideshow as we watch. After the slideshow, we'll close out with a final song. And uh, then we will be dismissed. Happy Mom's Day. Chapter.